Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Chasing Justice. I'm your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro, and I have to tell you, great show in store for you today. Uh, I love that you're out there every day at 3 o'clock. This is wonderful. But there's been something missing in the show for a while. You know, for a long time, you, you've you been stuck with me and me alone as I sit here and I pontificate and I talk about what's going on out in the world and you get my ideas. And I'm even talking to you people in your underwear in the basement who take notes about Lieutenant Joe and like to write about it. Right? So today, I have a couple of very special guests I'm bringing on board with me today. People you may know and remember and love. Well, I know some of you do because you wrote emails to some of them, but it's crazy. Anyway, today we have rock and roll race car Jack Patterson back with us. Jack, welcome back. Joe, it's great to be here, and uh, I just wanted to let everybody know I'm in the basement, but I'm not in my underwear. Yes. <laughs> now, does that mean command? No, I don't I want to know. And also, the contrarian, the guy who will take the opposite point of view, no matter what, to make an argument or to make a point, Jim Giordano. Joe, happy to be here, and Jack, nice to see you again. Same here. You know, it's good to see all you boys in the neighborhood. Now, gentlemen, it's nice to have everybody here. Reintroducing you back into the to the show platform, I think, is important. I talked to the great Malcolm Out Loud, and he was excited to hear that, that you guys were making a comeback. We've all been, like the rest of the world, separated from each other for a while. And hopefully now, as things start to come back together, we'll, uh, we'll be able to be together more regularly again, because I do like sitting with you guys and talking about the world. So one of the things that comes up, we, we, you know, what's going on right now? We have a president for two years and two more years to come, and everyone is talking about his mental acumen, his ability to converse, to think. Is this the guy with his finger on the nuclear button when Russia is threatening to start World War III? And you're starting to see other countries maybe want to get involved, and you got the North Koreans shooting missiles again. Uh, what say you, Jack? Is this the guy? What do you think about his uh, mental acumen? I believe if he doesn't have the teleprompter in front of him feeding him information constantly, he just goes off the track. He doesn't know of what he speaks. He's being fed all the information that he's uh, he's just reiterating to the public. Uh, it's a, I think it's a terrible situation for him as a person. I think it's a terrible situation, of course, for us as a country. Uh, we're not being respected. We're not being respected by any of the nations that we're allied with. Uh, and, uh, of course, we have all this controversy in the world, all the war in the world, and we constantly are, are being uh, uh, embarrassed by a man who doesn't seem to be, uh, let's just say, with it. Right. When you say with it, you're absolutely right. I watched him the other day on one of these broadcasts, and he's reading from a teleprompter, and he got it wrong. He got the name of the, the officials that were there, supposed to be there with him with this announcement. He got them wrong, and you could see them rolling their eyes and... Did anybody in the media ask one question? Say, Mr. President, why did you say the Secretary of Defense when that's obviously the Secretary of Transportation standing there? Jim, what say you? Well, the bigger embarrassment is our media. Um, what they do is they protect this man. Um, he has no credibility in my eyes, and this is not on, uh, purely on political um, reasons. Uh, it's the media that constantly defend him, that constantly... Um, guard him and protect him because most people in America are too busy trying to buy food and pay the bills. They don't watch the 
what's really going on in depth. So, you know something? I think the problem here is the media. Well, I, I think uh, we've seen the media, you know, be a problem forever and ever. Now, I remember Ronald Reagan when he came out and he would say, you know, it doesn't matter what anybody does, it's what the media reports. Because could you imagine if the media looked at Biden and saw the obvious corruption of him and his son? Obvious. It's right out in front of everybody's face. And where's the, uh, where's the, the constant stories? Where's the demand to know? What did your son have to do with China? Did you get money from China? Mr. Biden, you make $170,000 a year. How is it possible you have mansions all over the country and on the beach? Look at the classified documents they found in his house. You don't hear the uproar on, on, the, on the media. Never. Um, the problem here is the hypocrisy of the media. Frankly, I think we're being controlled. The population's being controlled. The death of truth is the, is the basis for everything that's going on right now. Uh, also, the part that, that really annoys me is uh, it's good for one but not for the other. We can kick Donald Trump's door in, and yet when the classified documents are found at Biden's, everybody scrambles for an excuse. Uh, frankly, the only thing I see uh, I have in common with this man is uh, we both like vanilla ice cream. Other than that, <laughs> uh, you know, he needs to go. Well, you, you both bring up a good point. We say hypocrisy. You know, I was talking to Miss Kathy a little while ago, and we're sitting there saying there was a time in our country that if you were proved to be a hypocrite, especially if you held a public position, and you were proved to be a hypocrite, you were done. You didn't get to come back from that. You were pointed out. You were embarrassed. You were humiliated. And you crawled away from the stage because you got caught being a hypocrite. Now, there's no shame in being it. Matter of fact, there's no shame in it at all. What there is is if it helps you to get over your point, and you beat your opponent, and you lied to do it, and you got what you wanted, half the country applauds it. They go, yeah, we know he's a hypocrite, but we got our way. Biden spin doctors have the easiest job in the world because they have the entire media working behind them. Right. They don't, they don't have to answer questions. Right. You think you could get away with not answering questions? Uh, well, I refer you to the Department of, uh, of Finance, and you go to them, and they say, well, we'll return you back to the White House. Nobody's going to answer these questions, and the media goes... Oh, well, I guess that's it. I guess we don't get an answer. Well, it's a double standard. If you're a conservative, yes, hypocrisy, you can lose your, your political life if you're proven to be hypocritical. If you're a Democrat, forget, or liberal, forget it. You, you can do whatever you want and because you're protected. Back again to the media. Right. And I remember uh, the great Rush Limbaugh, Uncle Rush. Uh, when he would come out and say that a Democrat could do some horrific things, and it turns out that that is a, uh, a resume enhancement. That's actually a good thing. Uh, you had a cheating on your wife. You had a scandal. You were with, uh, you know, uh, some person you shouldn't have been. That's, a, that's an enhancement. People applaud you. They say that. Look at, uh, what it was, Swalwell. This guy's sleeping with a Chinese spy, and they still want to put him back on the Intelligence Committee. How come he has not been investigated by the Department of Justice? What did he tell this woman? while well, they were uh, uh, in coutrement, so to speak, uh, as they're laying there between the sheets, and he's talking to her. Is he, is he saying anything to her? Is he, is, how, how come, any reports about that? Is there an investigation? No. And then when the Republicans now, they have the, uh, the, the Congress, they say, oh, we're going to investigate Swalwell and Schiff for their lying. That is a, that is a double-sided attack. That's just to pull away the fact that you have no plan. Where's... You know, hey, that's a, you know, yeah, he was sleeping with a Chinese spy, our number one enemy. Maybe we should look into that. 
as uh, as Corrine has said many many times, uh, the Republicans are now in charge of the Congress, and their main focus was supposed to be inflation. Biden caused inflation, in my opinion. Uh, their their number one thing was to uh, go after inflation, to reduce inflation for the American people, and she claims that the Republicans all they care about is attacking Biden and Biden's son. Well. The, the woman, all she does is back into the same corner. She won't answer any questions. Biden himself walks away from the podium when it's time for him to answer questions. Uh, it's just, it's, it's insane to me how this, uh, this can be continued on. These, these people are public servants. They, they must answer the questions that are put to them. But yet, walking away from the podium while the entire media, good, bad, and indifferent, are asking you questions, I, I think is a slap in the face to the American people. I, Jack, I couldn't agree with you more. I've always said that with, with all the all the things that should come with public um, service, when you're a public service person, everything you do while you're doing where you're taking those actions, and everything that can affect your actions, is public record. And therefore, if you're asked about it, you have to answer. And I, I would I would add that to any legislation going forward that would say when you're asked a question. You have one opportunity to say, listen, I have to gather my facts and I'll get back to you on that. Within 24 hours, you're back in front of that microphone and you're answering the question. Unfortunately, they are so busy piling on President Trump, they have no time to investigate anything. Everybody is piling on on the Democratic side, on the liberal side, trying to discredit this man. So if 2024 comes around, he has absolutely no possibility of becoming the president again. Uh, that's the only way that they will be satisfied. Jim, you think they're scared of Trump? You think that's what that really is all about, destroying him so he can't come back? If not, he's not the president anymore. Well, I think that's part of it. But, you know, there's, a, there's another prong here. Other, and I've been accusing the media of duplicity. But we have a government that aligns itself with one political, one philosophical persuasion. Um, I'm talking about the Department of Justice, the FBI, at least at its higher ranks, but it doesn't matter. That is what I see. The Christopher Rays of the, of the world. What has he done to improve the situation that we've had and that's been shown in the past about the hypocrisy of this group of people that we need to protect ourselves? I don't know. It's very distressing. I don't watch the news anymore. Um, I'm basically putting my head in the sand and because I think it's over. Well, what, what I, I watch the news, and I, I've turned away from it for a large part, part of my life as well, because what does it do good for me to hear these biased stories? You don't really get the truth. There's only really a couple of locations, America Out Loud, where you'll actually hear the truth. Uh, maybe, maybe some from Fox News, but other than that, all you get is these stories, these, these biased stories, uh, we don't really get the truth. So, Jack, you said before the truth has is, is been hit over the head. It's, it's absolutely clear. If we don't get truth, how can you expect people to make decisions? And the whole idea is it's not about giving people truth to make decisions. It's about lying to them enough that you convince them to do what you want them to do. Is that freedom and liberty? Is that what that is? Well, you know, the problem is respect for the truth. When the truth has been brought to the surface, such as Biden's uh, laptop, the FBI incongruities, it's never investigated. We never hear the end of the story. All we hear about is uh, uh, President Trump has these classified documents that he wasn't supposed to be in possession of. 
and that he's going to be punished for this. Uh, we hear nothing about being punished for the laptop. We have nothing. We hear nothing about the classified documents that were stored in the Corvette in the garage. Uh, by the way, my my own two cents. Uh, Joe Biden is taking us off of oil and putting us onto electric vehicles. The Corvette that he owns is one of the worst polluters and one of the biggest gas guzzlers ever known to mankind, and that is from somebody with over 40 years in the automotive industry. Thank you, Rock and Roll Race Car Jack, for your uh, gasoline-related commentary. Very, very important because you understand these things. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because Apocrisy. let me tell you something. This, the electric car, and I don't want to change the subject right now because that's really up to you, Joe, but I wouldn't buy an electric car. What do you do with the batteries? I mean, after the batteries go, who replaces those things? And who's going to pay for it? $15,000 for a new battery. Yeah. I mean, I would lease it potentially, but then am I going to take a ride to Missouri or am I going to go down to Florida in an electric car? You can't do that. No, you can get 300 miles, maybe 400 if you're very and Then you got to find a place to plug it in right. and sit there for 24 <laughs> hours or whatever. Well, that's a very long extension cord, too, <laughs> from New Jersey to Florida. But the, the people who are pushing these vehicles upon us, they don't give you the whole story, and they don't know the whole story themselves, which is another problem that these people that go out here and, and, and spout their liberal viewpoint are uneducated. They don't tell you about lithium mining. They don't tell you about the people who are dying doing this process so that you can have a lithium battery in your automobile. They ignore that. They totally ignore that and just bring you the, uh, uh, the happy go lucky, uh, let's all buy, uh, you know, electric cars. And in the meantime, they're ordering stuff on Amazon that's coming from China in a ship that puts more pollutants in the air in one transatlantic crossing than all of the vehicles in the United States of America do in one year. I like the way you say that, transatlantic. Just, it's a nice word. It's fun to say. Um, well, that's a mistake. I'm on a point. It's trans-Pacific crossing. Trans-Pacific. <laughs> Oh, uh, different side of the ocean. Oh, thank you, thank you, Jim. Well, see, that's what he's contrarian, right? He got you. Well, you know, he got you, he, got you by he's himself. the geographer, and I'm. A there you go. Well, when I when I okay, Jim, when you talk about this electric car, I was just out in California, and uh, the, the audience knows I told them some stories about out there. There are tons and tons of electric cars out there. They're all over the place. But you're right. How do you how do you charge this up? I can, if I have 300 miles, I can go on a charge. And I'm around town. That's fine. I can do that for a couple of days. Every time I come home at night, maybe I did 40 miles in the day. I plug in the car. It's good to go the next day. But how do you take this car and drive to Florida, which we both know is 12, 1,300 miles, maybe 1,400 miles, depending on where you want to go. And you only have, uh, you know, 300 miles at a clip. You got to stop, and you don't just plug it in and you charge in 20 minutes. You got to wait sometimes six, eight, nine hours for this thing to charge. So how many days is it going to take you? to fly. I saw a very funny thing. Somebody was pointing out, here's a charging station at one of these hotels where you could charge your electric car. It's fantastic. And right behind the charging station was the uh, the diesel-operated generator that made the electric <laughs> <laughs> to charge all the, all the electric cars. So what, what's the point here? Why do you think they're pushing us towards electric so much, Jack? What do you think really back there? You know, uh, it's, it's hard to say. Uh, Biden, I believe, I had believed that he did this as a uh, as a scheme to win more votes from the green side of the vote. You know, 
to uh, say that we're going to get off of oil and all this. And you know what? I can't disagree with that. I mean, I, I, I personally, and this is just a personal opinion, believe we need to get off of coal. We need to get off of oil, but it's something that we have to be weaned off of. You just can't stop because everything that you do, whatever you're sitting on right now, whatever carpet you're walking on, whatever house you're in, is oil. Everything is petroleum-based in your life. Even the photographs on your shelf are all oil-based. And to cut off the petroleum industry at the knees is going to be a horrific thing. It's going to swirl the entire world into a depression that we shall never recover from. Maybe that's their purpose. We, we, can, only, we can only tell, Jim, we can only tell the, 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 the forebearings of this by the fact that he cut off the pipeline and our inflation began. Yes, of course. It, there's there's no doubt of you can argue all you want. <clears throat> I saw him the other day and he says, I, I inherited a, a, an economy that was falling apart. I inherited an economy that was crashing. I'm saying, really? Which uh, yeah, which which planet are you from, sir? Yes. You, yeah, you inherited no. a, an economy that had uh, $2 a gallon gasoline. Uh, interest rates for housing were two and a half, three percent. Uh, everything seemed to be moving along very nicely. And you've undone everything that was in place. The border. The gasoline situation, the mortgage rates, getting rid of, uh, they want they don't want to, except they got caught in the lie, they want to get rid of uh, natural gas burning stoves, they're going to start in California, of course, going to get rid of your stove, you can't put a new, so can't put a stove in a new house, only electric, uh, it, which costs more than, than uh, natural gas, so how can, how can he possibly sit there, and where was the media to go, hang on a second, Fact checkers, oh, the fact checkers, they're all in the back when Biden's speaking, sleeping. Uh, could you all wake up? Did you hear what he just said? Uh, he just said that he inherited an economy that was crashing. Anybody want to go back and look at the facts, the statistics, and see what it was the day he took over compared to where we are now? Anybody want to do that and uh, give us an answer? No, no, absolute silence. So I, I find that to be quite frustrating. Now, I get, I get the idea that if we could run without gasoline and diesel fuel and all those fuels, that would be really Excellent. It would be. If they could come up with an electric car that would hold a charge for, I don't know, 1,500 miles. And you could say, okay. And it was reasonably priced. You plugged it in once. You could drive around with it. You could drive somewhere to get somewhere. Okay, that's that's not an unreasonable thing, electric car. It's better than putting pollutants in the air. But Jack, your point is 100% correct. We can't do it tomorrow. And that's what this whole thing goes all the way back now, Ted, my father-in-law, Ted, you know he's listening because he's the number one fan of Chasing Justice and of America Out Loud. Ted has said this all along. It all goes back to Obama. Obama, what did he say? I am going to fundamentally change America. Well, go look up the word fundamental. What does that mean? That means at the root, at the base, at the center, the foundation is going to have to change. Everything about America that is under siege right now, attacking traditional values, attacking religious beliefs, attacking and putting us at each other's throats, whether it's racial causes or everything else, all of this is to fundamentally change what America is. And how do you change something that's like that? You burn it down, you knock it down, and then you have to rebuild it, which goes to your point, Jim. Maybe that's what they are doing. They're telling us that's what they're that's doing. That's exactly right. Why are we not listening? Because when I talk to people, they go, well, nobody's really going to do that. Nobody's really going to try and change. They can't really do that. Really? It's because the people who lived through these massive world wars are basically very, very elderly or gone now. They lived it. 
they lived one day where it was a wonderful day and they went to work and they did the things around their home and they were having a wonderful life and the next day they were thrust into a world war and people from their own neighborhoods were dying in these world wars to make sure that we didn't go fascist to make sure that we didn't go communist and these people knew that yes it can happen the people that are here and now and younger don't realize that these things can actually happen because they've never experienced it and they've never spoken to any of these people who went through it, who actually saw the world change before their eyes, who actually had to give and sacrifice of their lives and basically stop their lives and or go fight in the war to make sure that there was a future for you and I so that we could have programs, so that we could disagree. And the world that's coming, the world that they're shaping, the world that they want to destroy to build it back in their socialist uh, uh, framework it is going to be horrific. And anybody who comes from a socialist nation or anybody who woke up the next morning to a world war could, could have told you that. That's their goal. And it's not only socialism. They don't care if it's socialism or, or communism. communism or fascism. It's all the same oppression. And that is what the, I think that that is what some people want in order to tear down this country to impose upon the American people an oppressive totalitarian state. That's what I see. Let's face it. You know, we're going to go to the lowest hanging fruit. We're going to send checks out to the American public and they're going to love us for it. And when we stop the checks, they're going to ask for the checks back. And when we keep supplying the checks, they're going to want something from us also, which is our control which is our freedom, which brings about socialism, fascism, and or communism. And this is what they want. They want to keep producing checks, keep everybody happy for getting this money for nothing, supposedly, until we are to a point where we've given up everything so we can continue to receive these checks. Jack, very good point. Jim, very good point. I think when I, when I see all of this, the one thing that past generations, Ted's generation and the other generations like, like his, that understood the value of what freedom meant. Of these people that we see coming from other parts of the world that are telling us, uh, we've seen all this before. This is how they get you. This is how these, these governments take over your life. Don't do it. And they're screaming at the top of their lungs, we've already lived this and we came here to avoid it. And you people are asking for it. And that's the difference. Right now when they poll younger people, people 30 and younger, about 65% of them say that the better way to live, to govern, is with a socialist government. 65% of the people who, like you said, uh, the older people are, are passing on, they're, they're moving on, the, the page of history is turning. These young under 30s in 10 or 12 years are going to be the ones running the world, not us. Our time will have passed, and when 65% of them... Um, think that socialism is better. I heard a great saying one time, you can vote your way into socialism and you got to shoot your way out. And that's one election. They vote for one Bernie Sanders and a group of other socialists who say, we're going to have a, a convention of the Constitution now because we have the power and we're going to fix all the things, as Obama called them, negative rights. Things that you can't, the government can't do to you. He wanted changes what the things the government can do for you. So one election cycle could flip this country around where they have this open convention. We're going to fix it. And who would applaud? We're going to make things fair. We're going to go back to that evil constitution written by horrible racists hundreds of years ago. We're going to get rid of everything that's bad and make it beautiful and wonderful. 
and they're going to have the power to open that up, and then they're going to change the entire system in one cycle. Ronald Reagan also said, "It's uh, we can keep this as long as we can, but we are one cycle away from socialism, from losing your freedom. Wait, Thomas Jefferson said that as well. Yes. So that was a big concern at the beginning of this country, and now yeah. it's now, but now it's coming to fruition. Mm -hmm. And the only thing I'm really sorry about is, and maybe I'm a Debbie Downer, but there's a lot of people, hundreds of thousands of people gave their life for freedom. And frankly, basically, it was not worthwhile because we're losing it if we haven't lost it already. Right. Now, uh, the contrarian the contrarian got you before, didn't he? He, he got you and he, he caught you and he corrected you. I'm going to correct him now. It wasn't Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson said sometimes the tree of liberty must be watered by the blood of patriots and tyrants. What who actually said it was Benjamin Franklin coming out of the Constitutional Congress when a woman said, what kind of government do we have? And he says, a constitutional republic, if you can keep it. So there, I, I feel good. I got the contrarian. <laughs> I got the contrarian. But the point being is that you're right, Jim, 100%. Our forefathers understood, as horrible and, and rotten and racist as they were, they understood that freedom and liberty is not the way humanity has always been run. I have repeated one of, one of the bell ringers that I say constantly is that it is the default position of humanity to live under tyranny. That's just the way it is. The strong person rules. That's the way it's always been. America was the difference we were the when exception. we said no. We were the exception to the rule. That's why America is exceptional. So as you're taking notes in the basement there and you hear about American exceptionalism and you think we're saying we're better than everybody, it's not what we're saying. American exceptionalism means we are the exception to the rule of how humanity and government and people have interacted with each other. It is the difference that freedom and free speech as the linchpin of the entire thing is what makes it work. If you cannot say what's on your mind, if you cannot speak up, even if people don't like what you have to say, that's the first step in shutting down your freedom and mine. You're not going to get your little pencils and your little pads and your little earphones to sit in the basement and take notes. Pay attention. Open your eyes. Jim, final words. I hope I'm wrong, Jeff. But you know something? How many more years do I have on this earth? 20 if I'm lucky? I hope that there's enough time where I can enjoy my life before we lose it to uh, totalitarianism. Thank you. Jack. All I can say is uh, talk to a person, as I have, who put their entire family, their children, in an old rotten wooden boat and made a journey across a hundred miles of ocean with no engine, no food, and very little water to get here, to get away from socialism and uh, see how they feel if this country went socialist. You'll, you'll uh, get a real awakening as to what they have to say. Thank you. Thank you, Jack and Jim. It was wonderful to uh, to see you here again. And uh, you guys will be back more and more and more, the, the fellas in the neighborhood. And we'll, we'll get Bill back in here. He just uh, he got tied up today. Uh, we'll have Miss Kathy's voice on, and we have a couple other people that want to make some guest appearances. But until then, uh, we'll be back in a few minutes. This is Lieutenant Joe for Chasing Justice. And listen, what kind of America do you want? Cold and flu season is here. Wouldn't it be great if you had a way to minimize airborne viral threats?
Well, now there is, and it's a povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray called Cofix RX. You might even say it's just what the doctor ordered. To reduce your chance of getting hurt, you wear a safety belt when you're driving. To limit sun damage, you wear sunscreen on the beach. Cofix RX is just like that. It's an additional layer of protection. It's sold by thousands of pharmacists and medical doctors nationwide. It's made right here in the USA. Again, it's a povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray. You've heard them talk about it here on the Outloud Network over and over again. Check out cofixrx.com. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com for a retailer near you or use coupon code OUTLOUD for 20% off at cofixrx.com. You already know Genesis plus HOCL is your best defense against viruses. But did you also know it's the most powerful weapon for eliminating airborne mold too? Customers are raving about the Genesis Fogger's ability to tackle mold problems and the bad smells that go with them. And we all know mold is a hazard to your health. There's no airborne invader that Genesis can't handle. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's fast-paced digital age makes it tougher. You're not alone. Poor sleep affects over 70% of us. The CDC even labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. Advanced nutrition company, Healthy Cell, created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake refreshed. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep using calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Over a thousand reviews with an average star rating of over 4.4 proves it works. Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. AmericaOutloud.com. Seven amazing years. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Chasing Justice. That was nice to hear from the fellas in the neighborhood, wasn't it? It was really good to have uh, Jack and Jim back. Uh, Bill, the man of faith, Dallas, couldn't make it. He got kind of tied up, unfortunately, as we were rolling, as they say, and, uh, and running the show here. Uh, he says he'll be back at a future gathering because at this point, like I said, it's nice to have uh, everybody coming back together. The world's getting back together. Uh, slowly and steady, we're all starting to put ourselves back into a normal rhythm. So the boys in the neighborhood will definitely be back. I like having them on. They have good points of view. They're very interesting individuals uh, as people, and they have a, a pretty good take on what goes on out in the world. So one of the things I want to talk about here was uh, the Biden notebooks that were found in his house by the FBI. 
Okay, so they go there to recover, I guess, whatever you know, uh, classified documents he had in the Corvette garage, or in the house, or in one of the places. And they found some notebooks that may contain classified information. So, how much classified information is out there? Are we overclassified? Is everything the president looks at and sees classified? Uh, and that's just the, the process that we go through. I mean, I understand that there are things the president may have to know about, may comment on, may be involved with other world leaders. That has to remain absolutely confidential and top secret. Otherwise, you couldn't, you couldn't function. I mean, I do, uh, I do threat assessments, right, for people. And I give them a document at the end of that threat assessment. And I tell them, this is confidential material. Don't let this stuff out. Don't let people know uh, the strengths and weaknesses that I found and how you're going to repair them. That's, uh, it's confidential, right? So it's top secret, kind of. So it's just interesting to see um, that the president had uh, probably more than just about anybody else, I'm going to say, Biden probably has the most. Now, I don't really know that for a fact, and the only reason I'm saying it is because we see that he is mentally impaired. And he may not even realize he had that stuff there. I, I know the president themselves do not pack up the boxes and carry them to the loading, uh, to the to the moving van, and then unload them. They don't do that, of course. But I think it is, uh, like I said before, I think it's probably something that they all have. They all take documents with them to remember, write their memoirs or whatever. And there's things they shouldn't have taken that, that, that belong to all of us. And you know, I guess potentially some stuff could come out. Now, if we found stuff from Warren Harding in his uh, library that were confidential at the time and, you know, top secret. Would that change anything today? Now, of course, it wouldn't. Other than the fact that maybe uh, we've had these long, 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 you know, generations long relationships with other countries. What if they were doing something uh, backhanded back then and we knew about it and we allowed it or we did it ourselves, you know? That, that could be uh, embarrassing in this future point. But other than that, once you go a few years past the current president, anything that they did or said has relevance to the time. It's like the JFK assassination files. You know, those things are sealed for 75 years. So that the idea is that people who were alive at the time who may be damaged by information coming out won't be affected by it. But the reality is that was a president of the United States who was assassinated. And if we thought it was the mafia, if we thought it was Cuba, if we thought it was the Russians, or if it was an inside job, we should know that. You know, that kind of thing, uh, the death of somebody like that, of an important person, an American uh, political figure, we should know everything about that. Uh, unless, of course, it's an ongoing investigation. So I, I just find this whole classified documents thing to be... Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's problematic, but it, it's not the end of the world. I don't think there's any super secrets in there. And maybe there are. Maybe there's nuclear codes that could get out, and I, I guess somebody could do something bad. But I think it's something that they're, they're, all, uh, they're all responsible for. They all do it. I think everybody takes things inadvertently, uh, and, and that's probably that's that. One of the things that it comes to privacy and secrecy is the Paul Pelosi video that came out the, of the day that he was attacked. Now, I think that's a horrible thing that happened to him. His home was invaded, and a guy tried to kill him. Uh, terrible, absolutely terrible. But I watched the video, and first of all, a lot of questions do come to mind, which they haven't told us yet. How did the guy get in the house? 
Did he knock on the door and threaten Pelosi? And Pelosi let him in, and they had the conversation. How is who, who called the police to tell him this guy was in the house? You know, we haven't heard that part of the situation. Releasing of the video uh, does a couple of things. First of all, what I noticed was that while Paul Pelosi opened the door for the police, like it was reported, he opened the door for the police, uh, the guy, David DePape, I think his name is, had him by the arm, was holding him by the arm while he held a hammer in his other hand. So it seemed to me that um, he had control over the guy one way or another. Now, we know from his statements that he's made, uh, DePape, the statements that he's made is that he went there specifically to, uh, to hurt Nancy Pelosi because he feels she's destroying the country with what she did as, as Speaker. Now, I think a lot of people feel she's destroying the country by, by the things, the policies that she did and the way she governed. But that's no reason to attack her or to hurt her. You defeat her at the ballot box. You don't, you don't hurt the person. So this guy is saying he made a list of these people who have done this and he was going to go out and uh, visit them, right? I guess, you know, go, go attack them, right? To, to strike out for what he perceives they have done. That's, that's bad. That's criminal. He should go to prison for that, uh, for the conspiracy. And then the actual attack. But when I watched Paul Pelosi, I watched him uh, stand next to the guy and as the cops told the, the, the guy to drop the hammer and they started coming towards him, it was at that moment that the pape decides, I better attack Pelosi because they're probably going to arrest me. And that's when he swung the hammer and hit him in the head. So the guy was clearly in danger. Uh, the fact that he, the pape held on to his arm told me he was trying to control him. He had a hammer as a weapon. So, so one of the things that you would do as an investigator, now they probably have statements from people that they're not going to release to us. There may or may not have been a relationship between the two. We don't know. We haven't heard that. It would be good to find out how did the whole event start? How did the guy end up in the house? Where did the hammer come from? How long was he in the house? Who made the phone call to the police to tell them to come on out here? Obviously, when you saw the officers coming, uh, they weren't covering lights and sirens. They weren't screaming as though the guy's going to be attacked. What was the call? What was the call for uh, to bring them to the Pelosi house in the first place? Did the alarm go off? What did the video camera show? Oh, the videos were off. Why were they off? Who turned them off? How often are they off? You know, so this is the thing. These are the kind of things where conspiracies are developed when people are not transparent, when they try to hide some facts. Now, you have to say to yourself, what facts could they be hiding? Well, I just gave you a list of questions that I would ask as the investigator. But why would you not want people to know when the guy got there? How long was he in the house? What did they do when they were in the house? Was it a, an immediate confrontation? And did Paul Pelosi hit an emergency button for an alarm? I mean, we, don't, we just don't know. And therefore, people start to speculate. And they say, well, they must have had some kind of a relationship. They must have been, he was some, something nefarious with the guy. And then it would, hey, that, could, that could all be true and it could all be all total BS. But when we have a lack of facts, you have a, 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 a void. And that void will be filled by people who will come up with all kinds of things. I just found that um, having actually seen the video now, they made it sound like, you know, once you see this video, you're going to realize, man, something really strange was going on. And uh, that's half true. I found it strange that he was in the house with the guy because I don't know how he got in, right? How many times can I say it? 
But it seemed clear to me that once the police officers saw the guy had a hammer, and I'm sure they saw that he was holding onto Pelosi's arm, you know, they weren't holding hands like boyfriend and girlfriend. It looks like he was hanging onto his, his shirt to keep him from getting too close to the door or running out the door. Uh, it seemed like a control move to me. Uh, as soon as he saw that the police told him to put the hammer down and they started coming towards him, he realized if he was there to do any damage, um, that was his moment to do it. Maybe that was the message he wanted to send. I couldn't get Nancy, but I'll get this guy. And he swung the hammer and hit the guy, almost killed him. Absolutely horrific. So it would be good if we got the rest of the facts. If somebody would, uh, you know, call over to the Pelosi's and say, hey, listen, why don't you just give everybody the facts so we know what happened here? This was not just an attack on Paul Pelosi and Nancy Pelosi's house. Because no matter how much I disagree with Nancy Pelosi's political uh, opinions, she is still a government leader in the United States and she deserves to be protected and to be safe, uh, as do all of our government officials, you know, who are out there serving the people. Now, they don't necessarily serve us. They do their own thing, but they represent us, whether we like it or not, and they should be safe. They should not be in danger from, from crazy people and crackpots that want to come after them. Uh, so what? You don't like their opinion. Vote for somebody else next time. You don't go and attack anybody. I mean, this is what happened with uh, um, our Supreme Court justice, right? Kavanaugh. They, they went, the guy went to his house to try and kill him because of the rhetoric that was out there. So I found that interesting. Now, when me and the boys, we were talking about, you know, uh, Schiff and Swalwell and that, and we, we started touching base on it. But the reality is uh, they were in the news again recently, and, and nobody seems to ask the questions. Why did you lie so much, you know, uh, Mr. Schiff? You want to be Intelligence Committee and you leaked stuff regularly? Everybody knows you were the leaker. Why would we let you back on Intelligence Committee? And I, I thought McCarthy did a good job of verbally fighting back to the reporters who, of course, are all on the side of, uh, of our friends on the left. And they're making this look like this is an unfair thing. Well, meantime, they didn't think it was unfair when Nancy Pelosi kicked Republicans off of committees or when they were chosen by their leadership to be on committees, you know, like the January 6th committee. And she said, no, 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 I'm going to appoint the Republicans that I think should be on the committee. Of course, she picked two anti-Trump left-wing uh, Republicans. Uh, she was controlling the committee. I don't see anybody complaining then. Did you? Did you see anybody complain that the speaker was wielding that kind of power? No. So that'll go back to, uh, you know, Jack and Jim's point about the media and uh, the media being totally corrupt, as so many other things are in our modern society. You talk about what was bad back in the day, and it was. You know, some of the things that happened were bad. But look at what it is today. You're not really free. You can't, re you can't really, you, you can't voice your opinion. You'll get shut down. You'll be investigated. They'll come to your house, right? So it's interesting. Uh, there's a trial going on, and it, it's, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting trial. There was a, an abortion clinic, and there are laws that say you cannot interfere with the people going into the abortion clinic, with the women going in to get an abortion. Because sometimes the pro-life people would stand out front and they would say things and most of, most of the time they prayed, okay, most of the time they prayed over people, but sometimes they would, uh, you know, I'm sure some people would shout some things that were uncomfortable or whatever, and that's inappropriate. Uh, someone's going into a doctor. Whether you agree with it or not, it was legitimate procedure, it was legal, and they shouldn't be interfered with. Um, if you want to protest, like I've said all the time, protest is good. 
You don't get to disturb people. You don't get to uh, block traffic and all that kind of stuff. They, they could have been across the street with their signs and they're praying and all that's good. Well, what happened here? There was, uh, you were about to have an escort, as I understand it. Now, anybody out there listening, following the case, if I got this wrong, I apologize in advance, but this is my understanding. There was an escort uh, bringing a woman to the clinic. Now, they say you can't interfere with the woman. And I agree with that, even though I don't agree with abortion. I, I agree that if she's going to go there and it's legitimate, it's legal, she should go there without being bothered. Nobody should bother her. Let her go do what she's decided to do. Well, this escort goes in and drops the woman off. And I guess she'll be there for a couple of hours. And then he comes back out and he's an older man. I think he was in his 70s. He's an older man. He comes out and up the block a little bit is a group of protesters. And what they're doing is shouting things out like, we'll help you with your baby, you know, don't kill the baby, we'll help you with the baby, we'll get you resources. So they're trying to save the babies is what they're trying to do. Um, and there was a father there with his son, and I think his son was eight years old, a younger boy. And this escort guy comes walking over to them, and he's he's saying things to the kid. He goes, your, your father, your father hates women. Your father doesn't like women. Your father, now I, I'm paraphrasing from what I've been told, but he was saying negative things about the father because the father's there uh, protesting this abortion clinic. Well, from what we hear, the escort went back in the building, came back out a second time, maybe came out multiple times, I don't know. But one of the times that he came out and he came over to confront the group and especially this man and his son and he started saying things, the father shoved the uh, escort guy who fell down and the father was charged with, uh, with assault, right? And now it, it's, it's in the trial, it's in the courts. And there's a lot of talk about it, uh, you know, what's going to happen, uh, how's he going to be found? And I think the questions that can be broken down, and, and I'm, again, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not sure it is, but I've been involved in the legal system, investigative-wise, is the escort an escort the entire time that the person that they brought there is in the clinic? So is he an escort when he brings her in while he's sitting in the lobby waiting for her? What if he goes out and has a cigarette, if he has a cup of coffee? Is he still an escort? And is he then protected that you, you shouldn't get involved with the escort? Once he walked down to the protesters, did he break that bond of being an escort? And now he's just an individual confronting other people. Uh, you know, is, is, there a, is the fighting words doctrine going to be uh, raised here? Did the father who felt his son was being uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe confronted, maybe he felt uh, in fear for his son, this guy was aggressive, whatever, and that's why he shoved him away. Was it appropriate for him to do that? Or should he have kept his hands to himself and walked away with his son if he didn't want to be confronted? You know, none of us like that idea of having to walk away when someone comes at us. Sometimes it's the prudent thing to do, but nobody really likes to walk away when somebody comes up to you. I didn't do anything. I was just standing here doing my thing. You came up and caused the problem. So this is it. This is at trial now, and we're going to see which one of these issues are going to be raised. Now, I think something that we can all surmise is that if you have a liberal judge, the liberal judge is going to see things through the lens of uh, protection for the clinic, protection for the, for the right of abortion, protection for the, the woman and the escort that they may say, the judge might say, yes, well, you're there as an escort until that woman is released and comes out and you get her home, you're an escort and therefore you're protected the entire time no matter what you do. Or you might see a conservative judge say, yes, you're an escort and 
You bring her in, that's good. Once you come outside and you start engaging with people, your escort uh, services are either on hold until she's ready to leave, or there's no protection for you whatsoever. You were the aggressor when you went up to these people, and therefore you're responsible for your actions and you know, did, did your actions cause the father to feel uh, in fear for his safety or his son's safety? And that's why he pushed you out of the way. Did he say things uh, so that the fighting words were were, uh, were invoked and the father felt that he had to do something to keep this man away from himself and his son? I don't know. But it's interesting that these are out there. These things, these kind of cases are out there. And you'd think by now we would have worked this out. You know, one of the things I talk about with the protests and it's okay to protest, but you shouldn't go blocking traffic. You shouldn't get in people's faces. You shouldn't threaten people. You shouldn't do any of those things. You should protest. Hold your signs, chant your chants, say what you want to say, let your voice be heard. All absolutely legitimate, no matter what the issue is. That's part of free speech. That's part of uh, redressing the government for your grievances and all that kind of thing. I just found that case to be interesting to see which way it's going to come out because the judge and the judge's point of view um, and the jury, their point of view, uh, will certainly have impact on whether they find somebody guilty or not guilty. So we'll see how that comes out as time goes on. All right, so one of the things I wanted to, I wanted to talk about, uh, and it's, it's a hard topic, I think, for us to have, but I think we need to take a look at the events in Memphis. Uh, when the five police officers, now six police officers, um, were attempting to arrest a young man and their physical force on him eventually led to his death. I watched the video. It is brutal. It is difficult to watch. It is heart-wrenching to see the young man at one point pepper-sprayed, already pummeled, on the ground, calling for his mother. This, this calls out to our hearts as human beings. Where's the humanity that this was happening? Now, one of the things I think the officers properly have been charged because I, I watched the one officer walk up and kick this guy in the head while he was laying on the ground. That, there's no call for that. There's no, there's no reasoning for that. The guy wasn't grabbing for a weapon. He wasn't about to, to kill one of the officers. He wasn't pulling a gun off of one of the officers. He was, he was laying there, and this, this officer came up and kicked him in the head. And as a police officer, as a person who loves the blue and who has lived it, um, it was very sad and difficult to watch these officers behave the way they did. Now, that being said, um, they're going to get the justice that they deserve for their actions. And I feel bad for this. This, this I wish I could remember his name, um, the young man who died. Now, his mother and his father were absolutely amazing and graceful uh, in their grief to come out and call for calm and to say that they're praying for their son. They're praying also for the officers and the officers' families. Uh, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big thing to do. That is a, a great example um, of decency. And I, I was moved by that to see that. I can imagine myself, if that happened to, to my child, would I be able to come out and, and be so calm and be able to uh, speak so clearly about how I feel and to offer prayers for the people who did it. Now, I know that's the right thing to do. 
I don't know that I could do it, uh, like in many of those kinds of instances. But this, ins- this, this whole thing, this whole thing is going to require all of us as a society to decide what it is we want in this modern world from our law enforcement officers. Now, we haven't got all the facts of, of what the call was about, why they were stopping this car. But I can tell you from experience, when people refuse to pull over, uh, when people refuse to submit to an arrest, whether they want to or not, whether they think it's right or wrong or not, that has a tendency to amp people up. All right, You get more amped up when you're in a car chase. you got adrenaline pumping. You're trying to stop this car. You're trying to get somebody out. To run up to the car, pull open the door, and then start yanking the guy out of the car. Um, I, I didn't like the way that looked. Um, I've been in those situations where people have committed a robbery, and they take off in a vehicle. And you finally get them stopped. Either they crash, or they finally pull over, and they're going to run, or whatever. And you run up to the car, and sometimes they come out fighting, and you have to fight. And that's just the reality of police work. It's never pretty when you see it on film. It's always ugly when somebody resists. Now, there are going to be lots and lots of lessons for law enforcement here. You know, one of the things I teach is de-escalation. I'm an FBI-trained hostage crisis negotiator, and I've created a program for law enforcement for de-escalation techniques. When they realized that the young man didn't have a gun and he wasn't an absolute threat to them, at that point, I would suggest they could have told him to get out of the car, uh, as opposed to yanking him out of the vehicle. But I get again, you got to understand, if you haven't been in these situations, you don't know what why the person is running. You don't know what they've just done. You might have seen him run a red light, but they just robbed or killed six people, and they think you know that. So there's that element to it. I don't think they, they did a proper job of what they did. Once they got him out, and they did try and drop him to the ground, they did, because that's the right thing to do. People say, why do they have to put him on the ground? Why don't they just... Well, you put people on the ground so you can control them so that they can't fight and kick and and punch and do all this other stuff and hurt you, the officer, or officers. And it also helps the person that they're on the ground and their movements are limited and therefore you get them cuffed up and everyone's under control. When this young man went down, you know, he didn't immediately lay prone, put his hands behind his back. Now, I'm not blaming him. He's dead. Right? What the cops did was wrong. I want everyone to be crystal clear about that. There's no doubt what they did was wrong, and they're going to suffer for their actions, that they didn't do it differently, that they didn't think, no matter how much adrenaline was pumping. There were several opportunities in there where they could have taken a deep breath, where they could have said, okay, we have to find another way to do this. Now, when you're in the middle of that, it is much more difficult to do that. I'm going to I'm going to say that right off the bat. I've been there when things start to get out of control and things are happening fast and furious and people are moving. But when you watch it on a video, you can clearly see that there was moments that you know, they could have uh they could have done things differently and that young man probably wouldn't be dead today and they wouldn't all be in jail. One of the things that's not going to come out, it's just not going to come out. We're not going to probably Well, I I take that back. We might learn about the background of this young man. Not that that's completely relevant to what they did. What they did was wrong. But why were they stopping him? What what was the whole reason for the stop? Was it just a traffic violation? I mean, it it went really crazy if it's just a traffic violation. 
And why didn't he just surrender? When they said, get on the ground, I did watch that in the tape as well. They said, get on the ground. He goes, I'm on the ground. But he was not laying prone and putting his hands behind his back so he could be handcuffed. He wasn't. And that amps up the activity. Now you got all these officers, and they were, they were big men fighting with one guy. And you say to yourself, well, why couldn't five guys take control of one guy? Well, there's a couple of things that might have gone on, and I'm not making excuses for the officers. What they did was wrong. I'm trying to look at it from the point of view of having had experience making arrests of violent people and resisting people and with what I saw on the tape. And when I watched it, the guy didn't lay on his stomach and put his hands behind his back and get handcuffed. He was resisting. He said, I'm on the ground, but he kept trying to get up. He kept moving. Matter of fact, when he had an opportunity, he got up and he ran. He took off. He wasn't submitting to the arrest. Now, is that an extra charge? Yeah. Is that a death sentence? It's not, and it should not have been. But I think there's lessons here for law enforcement. We're going to have to learn from this incident where, where in that could we have changed the course of things. Where could the young man have changed things in the course of things? What are we telling our young people? Are we telling them they don't have to listen to the cops? They don't have to obey? They don't have to be arrested if they don't want to be arrested? Or are we telling them when you get involved with law enforcement, right, wrong, or indifferent, you do what they tell you to do? You know, I, I, I do pray for this young man and his family. Like I said, his mother and father were, were really wonderful. And it's terrible that this young man is dead. He didn't deserve to die. You know, he didn't deserve to die. So I I wanted to bring it up because I'm going to think about it more. I'm going to look at it. But when they keep saying training, 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 they're right. There is training that we can give to our officers on how to handle that rush of adrenaline. You know, over time, when you start out and you're young, you know, you're, you're, you're like a bull in a china shop. But as you get older and you get more experienced, you learn how to do things differently so that they don't have uh, negative outcomes. And that includes dealing with uh, the using of force when it comes to enforcing the law. And I think there's, there's going to be a conversation, I hope, at some point where we're going to learn uh, how we can get better at what we do so that we don't have these tragedies where this young man loses his life and these officers end up in prison. So I want to thank everybody for being here. I have more on my my pages of outrages, but I didn't get to them. We'll get back to more very soon. Until we meet again, be a part of the solution, my friends, not a part of the problem. This is Lieutenant Joe for Chasing Justice.